Hey, Porch Community. Uh, welcome back to episode 41. We're glad you're with us today. Just wanted to tell you up front that uh, today's conversation, as, as I continue sharing my story, uh, we'll have some adult themes and we'll talk about some stuff that uh, is not for the younger ears. Um, and it might be a little sensitive for some of you as well. So talk about just my story. So I wanted to let you know that up front, but we're glad you're with us. Welcome to the 167 Podcast a podcast to inspire, challenge, and encourage you. Our goal is to help you live into the 167 hours of your week away from church. And now your host, Shannon Patterson. Well, hey, Porch Community, and welcome to episode 41 of the 167 podcast. Glad you're with us. I am Shannon Patterson. I I have the divine privilege of being the, the lead pastor here. <laughs> I was trying to think of another word, but I couldn't think of it. And I'm here with my friend Josh Harrell, our media pastor. Hello, Josh. Hey, Shannon. How's it going? <laughs> Is that a pre-recorded thing? No. Like, you know how people have, like, sounds, like, yeah. you know, car horn, yeah. you know, and, you know, toilet uh, flushing, and then there's Josh. Hey, Shannon, how's it going? I, I've, I think I've perfected that delivery. <laughs> I like it. It's going, it's going, uh, it's going great. It's going great. It's great. I don't know. It's going good. Yeah, it's, lie, it's good. You know? I mean, it's, it's been better. <laughs> I've had better days, and I've had much worse days. I'm, I'm doing better this week than I was last week. Why? Because oh. the girls are back in school. Yay! Yay! Praise the Lord! Yeah, I know you're glad that they are back in school, so you are able to... Yeah, do, quarantines do. are is for the birds. It is. You know, like yeah. I'm... Especially if they have the bird flu. No, I'm, I'll send them to school for that. <laughs> it's not COVID. No, I meant the birds. Send them to school. If the birds have bird flu, oh, they yeah, got to yeah. be quarantined. Yeah. That is a bad joke. It's a bad joke. <laughs> Wow. Uh, so, what are we doing today? Oh, well, I know what we're doing today. I don't yeah. know why I ask you what we're doing, but I know. I know what we're doing, too. I think I think we're doing a little banter, so <laughs> I can have a little bit more to say. Um, <laughs> but, no, so we want to continue your story uh, a little bit. Um, I think we want to recap a little bit, so maybe not recap a whole lot, but just kind of hit some highlights of so people know where you Or live. low lights. <laughs> sure. No people... So to give people who haven't listened to 40, I don't know why you're listening to 41, because it's called Shannon's Story Part 2, <laughs> if you haven't listened to 40. Um, but, and then we're going to talk about, we're going to expound upon a few things that you kind of hit at the end of last week, mm-hmm. like Romania, and then the starting of the porch and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So yep. uh, without further ado, mm-hmm. let's jump in. All right. Well, yeah, So so last week... One of the things that came up uh, when we, and we'll continue this, but we were asking people, like, hey, wh- what are some topics? What are some things you'd like us to talk about? Um, our stories were one of them. So yeah. you're going to be telling your story at some point here. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it won't be multiple parts, though. Four parts <laughs> of the Josh Harrell saga. No. Yeah. What makes it a saga? Three? Or yeah. not a trilogy? No. What makes something a saga, I wonder? I don't know. Like huh. They call the Avengers like the first section of the Avengers like the Infinity Saga. Oh, you should so, you should work your, yeah. your your magic on the on the Googles. Um so last week uh, I started sharing my story because that was one of the things people were wanting to to know about and and um you know and I've I've mentioned bits and pieces and parts of my story uh, sprinkled throughout through the years of of ministry and teaching and and preaching. Um 
but this was a little more, you know, uh, chronological, I guess, and kind of laying it out. Um, and when I say my story, in all honesty, this is God's story. Um, this is God working and, and, and just changing my life. And so if you have not listened to episode 40, I highly recommend that you go and listen to it because, yeah, just because, because this is the second part of the story. It'd be like starting a book, reading chapter two and skipping chapter one. So uh, just pause this and go go pull up episode 40 and listen to it. But um the common theme that I wanted to really address last week and start was, and, and when I sat down and kind of wrote my notes was, um, I wanted to show just this, this commonality, this common thread of how I've heard God speak to me at very specific points, um, as I prayerfully sought him, um, and like direction in my life from, from the moment of you know my saving, uh, you know understanding of who he is to, um, uh, you know moving forward and making decisions in my life and all of those kinds of things. So, um, so I started doing that. Did you did you pull up Saga? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so the real caveat is what's the difference between a a saga and a series? Ah, okay. And a series can be more than just stories. But a saga is an old Norse term oh. talking about uh, prose narrative dealing with a family or social histories Aha. and legends. Got you. So, so it's like a continuation story yeah. of, okay, yeah. But yeah. In, in modern terms, saga and series are mm-hmm. synonyms for each other. Okay. Wow. Yeah. You're so smart. No, I Googled it. <laughs> oh, Wow. Um, so let's kind of just, just jump in here. Um, one of the things I shared last week that was kind of a, a, a pivotal moment, a big moment, um, about a year and a few months before I became a believer was, um, that I uh, chose to have an abortion. Um, and I shared that story, and I've heard from from several uh, people since then about that. And and I, I wanted to go a little bit deeper in that, and in, in how I processed that that afterwards, especially after becoming a believer. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, one of the things I shared was when I sat in my bedroom that day that I just heard God say, Shannon, do you believe this? The Bible is real, you know, and I, that was my real salvation moment. And I just started apologizing. I mean, that definitely was one of the things I apologized for. Um, but I don't think I had truly, I didn't truly begin to comprehend forgiveness for that. Right. Until a maybe six to seven months after becoming a believer. Now, it, it was it was one of those things where it wasn't constantly gnawing at me, but when I really paused and thought about it, I, I struggled with going, okay, I understand how God can forgive all of these other things, but but this one, <laughs> this one, I mean, I don't, I don't know, like, you know, thou shalt not kill, so how do I deal with this? Like, you right. know, um, and I... Where I lived and where I worked in in Oklahoma City um, was a, you know, if if traffic was traffic, it was just nuts, you know. So I would spend, as I was driving to work one day, um, still waiting tables, 
Um, I was listening to Christian radio um, because that's what you do when you're a Christian, you know, a new no, Christian. It's not. No. Nope. <laughs> well, it's what I did. I had like, I just, you know, like I had like a clean slate of, of a lot of things. Now, it's not like I wouldn't listen to radio, but, um, but that was just one of the things I did. And, and so I was listening to Christian radio and I do not remember the program, the, the conversation or what. And I, and I wish I could find it or, or know it, but if I remember correctly, it was someone, they were doing like a pro-life, um, segment and someone was reading a letter as if it had been written by a child that had been aborted. Oh. And it, and it wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't like a, you know, guilt fest. It right. was, it was, um, and, and I, the, the whole point of it, the, I think what they were trying to get across was that, um, that I could, that someone who had done that could be forgiven. Oh, okay. So that yeah, was yeah. the point of it. It was to, it was to share forgiveness, not, not condemnation. Gotcha. And so as I'm driving and I'm hearing this, I had just this overwhelming understanding of something um, that my child was in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. And because my child was in the presence of God, that that child, I, I say she, I, I really don't know, but I say she, yeah. um, that she could not have unforgiveness towards me because she's in the presence of God. Right, yeah. And that was the breaking uh, of that, you know, uh, overwhelming sense of of um, guilt and shame. I mean, it's it's still like I, I, you know, I deal with the repercussions of it today, you know, yeah. right? But, but like I, I knew, like I knew that I knew um, that, it it really was like like the the dam busted and it just I was washed over with grace and mercy, and, and for that that yeah. I just didn't really I hadn't quite comprehended right because so because you were forgiven for it as soon as you correct asked. right and that's you know and as soon as who you wants said you're to, sorry right and who wants you know but sometimes we don't want to receive forgiveness because so, we feel so bad right so was that like the point where you were actually able to forgive yourself. Um, yes, yes, but not like in a super glad, like skip and jump way, but of it was course, just like, course. it was just like, yes, I am like forgiven. You can, you can like just exhale right. with the situation. Yes. And one of the things that I, I say about that and in the, in the opportunities where I had, where I've shared that part of my story, um, one of the things I say is when I speak about forgiveness, Mm-hmm. I speak from a place of someone who knows what it means to be forgiven for the worst of sins. Mm-hmm. I yeah. do, um, and so I don't. I don't speak of forgiveness lightly. I don't speak of it um, as like, "Hey, here's your free pass. You know, get out of jail free." I mean, like, I understand the weight and and the release of that weight when I talk about forgiveness because I've experienced it. Mm-hmm. Um, an interesting uh, thing happened, and it was within at least a week, and I almost want to say within a couple of days, of my understanding of that moment as I was driving to work that day. 
Um, it was no secret that, I mean, cause I had like a, a 180 shift, you know, like in my life, like my language is now different. Like, you know, everyone used to go out and party after work. People still did, but I didn't like everyone at work knew that, that I had had a life change. I mean, I, and so it was funny because people started coming to me and like, like t- sharing stuff and asking questions. And I'm like, I don't know anything, but I'll listen to you. Well, within a, a few days of me having this aha moment of that my child forgives me. Um, so therefore I can, I can now live in that forgiveness. Right. Yeah. Um, cause I didn't question whether God forgave me. Mm-hmm. It was really yeah. about that. Um, this, uh, coworker server came to me and, um, you know, in the restaurant business, those of you that are listening, they've done restaurant business. It is an interesting world. I love it. I think it's awesome. You get to meet just amazing, amazing people from amazing walks of life and different stories, but man, everyone's messy. I mean, it's really no different than anywhere else, but I think maybe for some reason in the restaurant business, we're just more honest about it. I don't know. Yeah. So again, some of you get it. You know what I'm talking about. Kara, I know she waited tables for a long time. She gets it. She knows. Um, but, um, so this, this, one of my coworkers came to me and she, I, it was, she was visibly like depressed or down or mm. something. And I just asked her what was going on. And she said, would you, you know, would you talk to me? So we kind of went over in the galley, you know, over to the side and, and she was just completely broken. And I don't know if it was the anniversary of, I think it was, but, um, her mother had died. And mm-hmm. I, I want to say it was like six months or a year or something. It was it was fairly fresh. Yeah. But her mother had died, and she they had a, a really tumultuous relationship. And the last words that she ever said to her mother was, I hate you. That was the last conversation that she had had with her mom before her mom passed. I don't know how her mom passed or what, but so she was dealing with this like immense mm-hmm. guilt yeah. about the last words that she spoke to her mother. Now in the course of the conversation, everything that, uh, she had told me that her mom was a believer. And I think, I think one of the reasons that they had like a rough relationship was that the, the young woman I was talking to wasn't, and her mom was, and there was just some conflict and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, it was just like, okay. And I said, well, let me tell, I'm going to tell you a story. And so I explained to her, uh, what I had gone through and, and the abortion and, and that feeling of, of not being able to be forgiven and guilt and um and that I had just that week come to realize that m- my daughter was in the presence of God and so I said so you tell me that your mom was is a Christian so she was like oh yeah and I said well then you know your mom is in the presence of God mm-hmm. like she is in the presence of God and I promise you the last thing that she is doing right now there is, no Ill is will. holding a grudge against you for the words you said. Mm-hmm. I said, that's not possible. And so, and, and like, she just like broke, like the dam broke for her to kind of comprehend that. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I continued talking. I think she came to Bible study some, but I, I don't really know. You know, I'd love to say, and then she received Jesus and everything, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know her story um, beyond that. But like to be able to share that, and that's that is most definitely. This is kind of one of my Shannon isms that you've. I know you've heard me say before, Josh. But it it's when that started to become very true is that God can take our deepest, darkest, most horrible moments, mm-hmm. and He can use them for His glory. Yep. 
And that began that understanding of that for me. So I knew that, like, even in that, even in the abortion and the, the, the guilt of that and the understanding of forgiveness from that, even in that, mm-hmm. God can use that for His glory. And, and that's something only God can do. You know, that's um, that He can take those moments and, and, and use them to minister to other people. Yeah. Um, does he does he desire for us to have those moments to share? No. Does he d- does he you know orchestrate it? So you know, did he make me have the, you know we we could get into all that a whole free will and and all that stuff? Like no, I cho- <laughs> I made all these choices, right. but God's grace um, and His forgiveness um, met me even as I made all these choices elsewhere. Met you, know? you where you were. Totally met me where I was. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I wanted to address that as far as far as that that part of my story because I think, um, and I've had multiple multiple occasions through the years um, to to share that understanding of forgiveness and to um, and and to share that uh, that hope in the really really dark and mm-hmm. low place. Yeah, and when someone tells me or I talk to them or whatever, and they say something to the effect of, um, there's no way God can forgive this. I'm yeah. like, oh, let me tell you. Mm-hmm. You know, let me let me talk to you about something. Here's what I've learned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so how would you say that um, this whole part of your story has mm-hmm. shaped what you do currently? Like how, did, mm-hmm. how does that shape, you know, with... With you as a mother, with Mallory, mm-hmm. you you as a pastor, how, how has your understanding of forgiveness through this story really shaped mm-hmm. you? Um. Well, and th- I, that I know that's a curveball uh, question. No, and no, it's, no. It's it's, it's, the, it's yeah. I would say. I mean, and I just said it, but it, it's so true. Like, it has totally given given me an understanding of the depths to which. Uh, God's forgiveness goes. Mm-hmm. That it knows no. You're right, right. That that, that it, it it's to the nth. Like it, he, his forgiveness is not limited to you mm-hmm. know the following. Yeah. You know it it is it's all the way, and it's that's humbling and yet really good news at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't take away the uh, sense of. Um, you know, I, I don't even know if it's if the word shame is appropriate to use, but just grief. Uh, grief is the word. Yeah. The the grief that I will always have, um, but that's okay. I should grieve that. Mm-hmm. I should grieve uh, the choice that I made. I should grieve that because, um, you know, it was it's it's part of my life, and yeah. it was. Um, I don't. I don't ever want to forget it. I don't want to act like it didn't happen, um, or or ignore the great forgiveness that's been given to me. So, yeah. um, so grief is real, but it's um, it's it's odd. Um, as a as a wife and mother, um, you know, I don't know. I didn't. I haven't done a lot of psychoanalyzation on this, but I, you know, if you, if I look back, I could say, um, you know, I had. a you know, I was had a couple of different opportunities to to get married and and in you know, relationships that that I thought oh this could this could be this could work out this is a great guy but it just didn't and I don't 
I don't think that moment in my life played a part in it, but um, I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. And I would say that as a mom, I had Mallory when I was 41. Um, hey, episode so, 41. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, really almost almost like 20 years later, uh, 19 years later, 20, I can't remember. Um, so... I I've said this a few times. Like I think I'm a, I think I'm a better mom as an older mom as far as like wisdom and understanding of life. I just wish I had the twenty something year old body when I had her. You know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> just. But because uh, I'm tired, it's funny because uh, I'll have you know like Kristen and other friends will they'll I'll say something that Mallory and I did or that Mallory's doing. They're like, oh, you're such a fun mom. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm an old mom. There's a difference. <laughs> There's a big difference. Um, but we sidetracked there. Um, I don't know, Josh, uh, besides, I don't know how that's shaped me. Other, the biggest thing has been the understanding of forgiveness mm-hmm. and, um, and, and allowing God to use it. Mm-hmm. Like that's, yeah. that's been a big part of it. And I've never, um, you know, shied away from the conversation if, if it's yeah. the appropriate time to, yeah. to share it. And, and something you said really struck a chord <clears throat> with me because it's, it's how I feel about um, some sins in my life mm-hmm. is when you're forgiven, that the weight doesn't go away mm-hmm. per se. Like it's still there, but you don't necessarily feel shame anymore. You feel the grief. Grief, right, right. And, and that's okay, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and that keeps it... You know, because you can take grief and point it towards God as opposed to shame. You try to that's hide. condemnation. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, when when some when something brings that stuff up and mm-hmm. you've, and and like I I've always thought it was like, you know, and I knew it wasn't shame, but I've never had a I've never put a word to it, and that mm-hmm. and the, the word grief is exactly mm-hmm. what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's man. Yeah. You know? And and I think it's I think it's okay for us to grieve. Moments in our life when we realize we made choices that, what did they do? They grieved God. Mm-hmm. Um, they grieved the Holy Spirit. Like, mm-hmm. we were ex- going in a, in a direction or making a choice that, and even as, for me, I mean, because, th- you know, there's there's B.C. and then A.D. for me. Yeah. That particular choice was B.C., but let's, you know, th- I've made plenty of other choices on the other side as a believer where... Oh, yeah, yeah. I grieve those things just as much, and so um, it might be easy for people to go, "Well, see that you met, you did that before." But what about now? What about a Christian? What Shannon? I'm listening to this, and I made that choice as a believer. And see, most of mine are as believers. Yeah, as yeah. a believer. Yeah, because you, I mean, you yeah, as, yeah. you made a decision, decision younger in life yeah. and stuff. And um, God's forgiveness is not limited mm-hmm. by, well, Josh, you should have known better. You know, Shannon, you should have known better. Like. Yes, that's true, but like if we truly repent, if we mm-hmm. truly uh, call it for what it is and we repent of that, we confess that, then then his grace, his mercy covers over there. This is what Jesus came to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he takes that shame away. He takes the shame away. and if anything, the grief should stay with us as a reminder of, hey, you dummy, don't, don't, don't do, do that, that again. again. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I yeah. mean, and, and it's because 
that grief is there because you've grieved, like you said, you've grieved God, you've mm-hmm. gr- and it might, might might involve other people and it might not, right? But you've you've grieved other people per mm-hmm. se, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. And it, like you said, it is a constant. Rem- that grief can be a constant reminder to keep you on that straight and narrow path mm-hmm. from God, mm-hmm. not feeling shame of what you've done, right? But the grief of knowing who and how you've hurt people. And God. Right, right. And I think we have to be careful that we don't let the grief drive us. But oh, it's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the forgiveness and the mm-hmm. grace. But, yeah, the, I think it's, if it's part of our story and part of our, you know, experience, then, then grief's probably going to be there if we're really repentant, mm-hmm. yep. you know. So, um, you, yeah. So that was, that was a pretty tangent that we went off. So I'm going to try and get back on your story. <laughs> And last week you you just you mentioned Romania. I think you said that you and I went to Romania. Yeah, you went to <laughs> Romania, and that was it. Yeah. So yeah, that was yeah, that was a really cool experience. I want to um, I want to hear about Romania. Yeah. So, um, you know, when I moved here to Valdosta, I was like, okay, God, I'm being obedient. I've moved here. I've done what you've told me to do. I'm ready to go. You know, I didn't really unpack completely. You know, I had like boxes of like dishes and things that I was like, oh, I really am not going to need to unpack these. I mean, you know, <laughs> stuff that you don't really, you know, books and stuff. I was like, all right, any minute now he's going to tell me to move. So why, why bother? But that didn't happen. So I'd been here probably, uh, I'd been here a couple of years, probably uh, like three, three and a half years. And I really was still in that discerning place of going, okay, I, I, you know, God, what do you want me to do? Like I knew there was this I knew, and I don't even know if I would would have called it, probably by then I would have used some Christianese words, but like I knew there was a (laughs) calling in my life and I just didn't know. And I knew that I was in a place in my life as a single woman, like the kind of the, the, I mean, I I didn't, I wasn't married. I didn't have children. Um, The kind of job and career I have, it wasn't like I was bound to one place or anything like that. So I like, it was kind of like, what do you, what, what do you want me to do? Exactly. Yeah. And, um, an opportunity was given to me uh, to go to Romania for several months and just kind of really to weigh out, like, you know, missions, mm-hmm. you know. And in this particular situation, um, in the, I don't know, 80s and 90s especially, there was a huge influx of um, children being placed in orphanages in Romania because of... Uh, their leader, Nicolae Ceausescu, he was just a tyrant and horrible. And um, he was basically just telling the whole country, just have babies, have babies, and don't worry, the government will take care of them. And um, and so that's what people did. And so, but then they couldn't provide. Yeah. You know, so orphanages were just rampant. Um, during that same time, you know, communism, you know, the... You know, the Berlin Wall fell, so things right. kind of opened up because yeah. Romania was pretty closed off. People were smuggling in, like, Bibles from Germany for years, you know, to, oh, try, wow. to try to help, uh, you know, Christianity thrive there. Um, and so they just, this orphanage problem was just immense. And one of the issues that was seen, um, there was, uh, like, a required conscription for, for guys. So I think when you turned 18, you had to go serve two years in the military, so there was kind of a route for young Guys. men. Yeah. Um, even if they were in the orphanage, like they'd turn 18, then they'd go to the military for two years. So there was something, you know, but yeah. for girls, there was there was nothing. And 
So these girls were growing up, and the weirdest thing, Josh, because when you, when you and I think orphanage, we think you don't even know who your parents are, you never see your parents again. But the the orphans that I and I don't even call them, the young the the young girls that I worked with and got to know, I met some of their parents, like oh, because wow. they would go and see them. Some of them they had younger siblings living at home. What it, I, I know is it, it was crazy. Um, so what was going on with the orphanage situation is, let's say there's you know orphanage A, and they have fifty beds. Just example. Well, they would get a call and say, all right, well, you've got um, a, a three-year-old girl that needs a bed, and they only have 50 beds. And then you've got, like, these 17- and 18-year-old girls, 16, that are taking up beds, and they're like, well, okay, so 18-year-old girl, you know, here's two weeks' notice, give you the equivalent of you know, maybe 50 bucks, and you need to go because we need the bed. Oh, wow. And what would happen is is drug addiction, prostitution, mm-hmm. um, all these things. I mean, these girls were just, I mean, really like ripe for the picking for those who wanted to, you know, abuse them and use them. Um, they'd get in, re- you know, really horrible relationships. You know, there was there were plenty of people who wanted to take advantage of these girls that had really no life skills. I mean, they did schooling and stuff, but I mean, they, they didn't know anything. So that was kind of the basis. And so... B- Several different Christian organizations and groups and things got together and said, hey, let's establish some homes and uh, put some parents in there, some adults in there, you know, and, um, you know, get 10, 12 girls and let's let them live in a home. They will go to school. They can, we'll help them find a part-time job. They will learn chores. They will learn how to cook. They will learn these things. They will live in a family environment for a while, you know? And so that is what I went to. So I went and lived in a home in Chesnadia, Romania, which is, I don't even know. (laughs) Who knows? All right. Um, uh, The nearest big city is Sibiu. And uh, Sibiu is like a, goodness, I don't know, like a, three or four hour train ride from Bucharest. So everyone's probably, most people have heard of Bucharest. So it's in the Transylvanian Alps. Yes, Transylvania. Yes, Dracula. Oh, yeah. Yes, that's where that. I know that And I went to Dracula's castle while I was there. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, supposedly. So, Um, but so yeah, what I did, (laughs) and this is like, this is like in 98, I think, when I went. And, um, you know, this is very much like the internet's not, what we know it to be today. So like I ordered like how to learn Romanian on cassette tape, you know, and I had like the thing and I learned <laughs> and I would listen to it all the time and learn to count and learn, you know, basic, really basic things. But I tell you, Josh, if you go and live in a home with 12 teenage girls, um, you are going to, you better learn some stuff real quick. Cause I mean, it's like yeah. <laughs> you sink or swim, but my purpose to be there was to help them learn to, help them learn English Mm -hmm. um, and then to do Bible study and really just to kind of come alongside the, they had two different women who were living there in the home. And so just kind of come along and and help them and be a part of that. So it was really just to get an idea for missions and everything. So while there, um, I, that's what I did. I mean, I was there for several months um, and there was also a local, ministry that was connected actually to a a ministry that we still support here at the mailbox club right um which you know just do the whole storyline right my Mm -hmm. friend carrie Mm -hmm. led me to christ she got him here married 
John Mark, and he's his family founded his dad founded the Mailbox Club, and now he's the director of it. So like this whole connection of all that. But yeah, there there's an organization called Child Evangelism Fellowship um, that was there. So that was also part of the work. So it was really about um, doing uh, after school good news clubs, um, living with these girls and helping them and helping them learn English. Um, and we would do that through Bible study and stuff and just living life. And then, um, the good news clubs going and and doing those after school things. So what I learned in that was that, um, ministry was, was really, I, one of the things that blew me away by the time spent there was obviously the, the young adults in Romania, uh, are not on the same track that we are here in the States. So, you would take a, a Christian, there was one guy, his name is Sebastian, he went by Sebi, and I remember this, like, he was young, but, like, he finished school, he wasn't an orphan, he he finished school, and, it, like, went and did, like, a Christian training thing, and then he was, like, a missionary leading all these different, like, after-school Bible studies in homes, coordinating all this stuff, doing all this teaching, um, driving to lead them, uh, and he's, like, 18, 19 years old, and the maturity that you see in the young adults that I saw in the young adults there mm-hmm. versus what I saw here in the States and what I even experienced myself yeah. um, was just so different for the Christians. Like they really were like, they were committed, mature people. Like they weren't like, I'm going to delay my um, adulthood, you know, for five more years and go and party for, you know, yeah. X amount, you know, whatever. So I just, I was really impressed by that. Uh, that was one thing that really, um, I think was kind of just kind of went into my mind like, okay. And then um, just to see that ministry, the way that it was done was very relational. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's where uh, just being real and relationship and conversation with people, like God uses that. It doesn't have to be shiny and polished and all those things. Right. And so I learned those things. And as I mentioned last week, so I come back, from my time there, and I'm just like, I'll just go back. Like, I'm just now really catching the language, and, you know, I could learn so much more, and I could keep doing this. But um, really what I heard God saying was, what did you learn there? So it was, you know, kind of like, okay, process. What were the right. things I learned, which I just mentioned them? And it was like, okay, so now just keep keep reading my word. Don't make any big decisions yeah. for 90 days. Yep. Um and during that time, it was what, you know, do those things here. Do those things here. Do the things that you learned there. But do them, do them here. here. And it wasn't like do them here in Valdosta. It was just like, and, t- and it wasn't even like a you must not return to Romania. It was just like, what's stopping you from doing what you did there, here, right now? Where I have you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not and, necessarily here, but right, where I Where have he you. has me. Right. Yeah. And so that was kind of like a... Okay. Um, which really leads right into, you know, I, I mentioned this last week, but like when I very quickly after becoming a believer, I felt a calling to teach. And I just assumed that meant teach school. Like, I mean, that's a default, teacher, right? you know, a teach school, right? Yeah. And I pursued that a little bit. Like I looked at schools and just like doors just never opened. Um, of course, I taught tennis. Uh, so, yeah, I was doing that. Um, but then in the process, it was like, okay, so I started doing student ministry. 
Um, so after my time in Romania and kind of like do what you did there here, you know, I got a call to, to come on staff as like a part-time middle schooler. So I started to do that and I was like, okay. And so I'm teaching, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm doing that kind of thing and, and all of that. Um, and then I saw a need, like there was no young adult ministry at all. So I, I just started doing that. It's just kind of like a, not to be paid or anything, I just started doing it. Right. Um, but still like the kind of deep down, I was, I was not un, I guess unsettled is the word, but I just was like, okay, but I, I still don't feel like I'm, I'm living into that calling to teach like I should. And I'm telling you, Josh, at no point was I like, oh, maybe I should go into full time ministry. Maybe I should co- become a pastor. Maybe I should go to seminary. <laughs> it just was not. I was like, no. And I'll tell you this: one of the things, I, one of the kind of final hangups for me, really starting to pursue full-time like clergy ministry was I didn't know if I wanted to be like Reverend Shannon because I thought that maybe that you kind of lose some cred like with people as far as just being relational and being real. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, because I knew that relational ministry was so important that I wondered Mm -hmm. if, if I put Rev in front of my name, does that suddenly change how people look at me and see me and talk to me and all that stuff? And I was kind of right and kind of wrong, but you know. Yeah. Well, you don't. You, you never introduce yourself. Like I that. am Reverend Shannon Patterson. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've never. I don't think I've ever actually heard you do that. No. I think other more people call you Reverend than you call yourself. Oh yeah, I don't. I don't yeah. refer to myself as Reverend. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> Not that that's a bad thing. I no, just don't. Sorry. So yeah. Um, I just think it was interesting that the, one of the biggest things yeah. was the title. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and it's but at the same time, like. That's part of the calling, and you have to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Like you need, you know, and it's it's less about the title than it is the the understanding, even from scripture, of what the responsibility yeah, yeah. that the title right. brings. Yeah. So by this time, it's like two thousand and two, and I cannot believe that's almost twenty years ago. But so a lot of these students that I had been ministering to, and these young adults that I helped, you know, start that ministry, we got together in my living room after some conversations. Um, and, you know, I told you last, I think I mentioned last week that someone had approached me and said, Hey, what do you think about a, you know, like a contemporary service at our church, which just seems so like, and you said, Whoa, yeah. edgy. And I was like, no, not no, going to happen. No happen. one will approve yeah. it. It won't We're, we're just not going to happen. And, and really like for the next couple of weeks, I just, every, every waking moment was and, like, what and, about hadn't that? It, and hadn't it been tried before? Um, yeah. To an extent, there was like a a early morning, like an eight thirty, what I would call like an Emmaus style service. Which, if you're familiar with the walk to Emmaus, um, a lot of people had been on it and they'd experienced, you know, like an acoustic guitar and, um, but to call it contemporary, they would call it contemporary. Yeah, yeah, it would be called contemporary, but not that wasn't really what we were. Wasn't your vision? Yeah. Well, yeah, at that point it was definitely not, yeah, but yeah. I don't think it was even even the vision of, of the the people I was kind of talking to, but but we had seen it. Like we had we had kind of witnessed some, you know, uh, you know, different ministries going on in the country and we, you know, were like, wow, maybe we could do that. So, but at first I was like, no, not going to happen. But really like I left that lunch meeting and was like, okay, what, you know, every every waking moment like was just huh, what about that? What about that, you know, what about that idea? What about that? Mm-hmm. So then I was like, okay, let's talk about this more. And so that that was probably in, you know, 2001, 
like maybe late in the year. So now it's like 2002 and got together with um, some of these people I'd been doing ministry with. Um, we, we sat in my living room and we prayed and talked and dreamed. And, and, and in August of 2002, we launched the porch ministry. Uh, we launched it as a worship service on a Sunday morning um, out of Valdosta first. Um, and we get the name porch. Uh, it was, we called it Solomon's porch. Um, and that comes from Acts three eleven, uh, where it's talking about what's going on with, in the book of Acts, where mm, just, yeah. God is just moving and people are coming to accept, accept Christ and the disciples are working and it gives this description of, of how the disciples are teaching and people are accepting them. And it says all the people were amazed and ran to them talking about the disciples. Cause what was going on? All the people were amazed and ran to them at Solomon's porch, mm-hmm. which is like the new century version, but it's like Solomon's colonnade. I mean, there's different versions you'd read, but it's that area right outside the temple, which I think is really cool to me. It was one of the things it was kind of like, Hey, you know, God will meet you. You don't, God will meet you outside yeah. of, of this. And so, um, that became, that was our name. And, and so our, our first Sunday was August 18th, 2002. And, um, and that was my first official message. It was, um, the first time I ever like preached that kind of a message in a worship service. And that same, I'll tell you this, the same sense of peace and purpose, um, that had led me up to that point um, consistently, like that mm-hmm. I just continually felt God was like, yes, do this. Yes, yes, yes. Um, it was it was like, boom. Okay, here, yes, this, this is what you're supposed to do. The light bulb. Yeah. Um, and I can only pray that everyone has that moment in their life mm-hmm. it, with their sense of calling. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't mean like you have to go be a pastor. Maybe you do, but like, but in whatever you, you do... Have that- Yes. You have that reassurance that you're it is where God a, wants you. Yes, it's just a wonderful feeling. Um, and then began just this long kind of learning process because I think I was I was very like Lone Ranger-ish for a while, right? Um, because I just, I didn't, you know, everything was brand new, didn't have really a, a, a model to follow. Um, but like, you know, at first I was doing, I was the greeting, I was greeting people as they came in and I was taking up the offering and I was setting up the chairs and I was working the PowerPoint before, you know, between when I wasn't up there preaching, like during the worship set, like I was doing all that. And I found out very quickly, like the next crucial piece of my calling was to seek out and develop other people yeah, and develop other leaders. Um, that was very, very, very important. Um, interesting, uh, that the first four years of doing that ministry, I was just, just, a staff person at the church. I wasn't a clergy. I wasn't licensed. I wasn't anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just lead ministry, which is, I didn't think it was strange, but I look back and I'm like, Oh wow. They just let me do that. That was kind of cool. But, mm-hmm. um, so in 2006, I started seminary. Finally. Um, I just, I had had a lot of people suggest I do it. Um, I just, I didn't want to. <laughs> I don't like school. <laughs> and it costs a lot of money. Um, but I, I became a licensed pastor in 2006. And then I started seminary. And I knew I had 10 years to, to get in all the classes before I started to lose credits. So I took 10 years um, oh, wow. to do it. Yeah. Because uh, I was not going to go into debt. I, I felt very strongly 
that it was not the prudent and uh, wise thing to do to take on debt uh, to to do school. So I well, didn't. I don't. I don't think God would ever want us to do something that would yeah. give us yeah a tie to a bank. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well. Yeah. We say that, but then the bank owns our cars and the bank owns our house, and I don't know. But yeah, I, I don't. I, <laughs> <laughs> I know you said last week about God telling you to buy that house, so He did. Yeah. So, so maybe, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Well, I think it was more in that regard. It was like I'm already doing ministry, so it's not restrict. I'm not restricted from doing ministry mm-hmm. by not having this. But um, I also knew that there was. Uh, I, I just felt like it was the next step, step to mm-hmm. go into. Yeah. Um. So and and I will say the plan was to not go into debt and I did not go into debt. So Congratulations! I know, right? Uh, people should be cheering for you because that's a big deal. <laughs> um, I really, really, really loved teaching. I still do. Um, walking alongside people, being in ministry with people, you know, marrying them, mourning with them, and even starting to counsel them—that was something that that was building up. Um, I don't know. I was thinking about a couple of highlights from from those earlier days, but um, worship was something that was the the time of music and worship and prayer is really important. And and we had these things that we called re worship nights, re R E. And yeah. what I, and we called them that because it was like you could. It was a time to like be refreshed, to be renewed, to be restored. And that, so we called it re. Yeah. Um, and and we would just you know, have this time of just worship and we would set up like a prayer station and place where you could write. Sometimes even like we'd have like a canvas you could paint, you know, just really very, uh, you know, people reading scripture and stuff. And it's just this really, really beautiful time. And we've, we've done some of those since then. And I know our young adults do them and gosh, I'd like to do, I I don't know why we don't do it again, but um, it's just a really just beautiful time just to stop and pause and be in the presence because um, we're so rushed and running around, so I was that was one of those. Just really loved that. And then the other thing was, I just I super em- embraced the idea of um, series teaching. Yeah. Which again might seem like a you know everybody does that, but like that was not, not no one then. no no one I like you would see big churches somewhere yeah. doing, but it was like not it, this was not a common yeah place like thing. when I started doing that, people were like that's not that's not appropriate you know? and I was like no we we want to do that like we want to give people something to to grab a hold of. And we went like all out. Like we did one series on Lost. You know, of yeah. course this is when the TV show was going. And we, like we were meeting in the, as I call it, the Cafe Gymtorium. It was like the fellowship hall uh, for the worship service. And we had that place decked out with live plants and trees, like fully from like a local like nursery that had that brought them not nursery for children but nursery for trees and um <laughs> like it was it was crazy I've, I've heard about I've yeah. heard about the early series yeah and, we used to go we I listen we had to make that that cafe gymtorium we had mm-hmm. to transform it we had to do the best we could so we would go all out we did one on um on our identity and we had like a cop car out front with the lights flashing and like yellow tape and uh, we had like people at the door checking IDs like it was just really funny yeah so um so that was just we did some some funny things at one point I did I really did call Wild Adventures to see if I could get an elephant um but it didn't work out so did you really I did I did yeah now at the time I think you you knew the owner um no I mean I knew who it was but no it just it wasn't it wasn't possible so um so 
one of the, this was one of those when I think about highlights of of doing ministry, um, was we were talking about being generous, and I want to say like Francis Chan's book. Um, mm, gonna forget the name of it right Reckless now. Love. Is that it? Was that it? Mm-hmm. The one that makes you want to sell everything. Yes. Was that Reckless Love? Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. So yes, that's the book. Um, I, that had a big, big uh, catalyst <laughs> for a lot of people, uh, myself included. But we had this series on generosity. But I'm telling you, like this was not like a plan of mine. Like we're gonna do this. But like Holy Spirit started like really speaking to some people. And before it was all said and done, we ended up having like this outdoor worship service, which we had. We blocked off the city streets and had an outdoor worship service, which again. Hadn't done that before, no. right? And um, <laughs> people were like contacting me like over a couple of weeks and were like, hey, I want to give this. Hey, I want to do that. Hey, can I, 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 I feel like I'm supposed to do this and give this away. And by, by all said and done, we ended up on the <laughs> Sunday, we gave away seven cars, two of which were brand new. Like someone came and said, someone, someone was driving a, a very new vehicle. They felt... Like God told them to go and sell that vehicle, very nice vehicle. They bought two new cars from that sell. Actually, they bought three. They drove one and they gave away two. And then we had other people just give away their vehicles. So we got to give away, like, I got to hand two people the title of a car. It was so awesome to be able to be a part of that, like, to be part of that that huge move of generosity. It was, like, so, so cool. Um, Real quick. Yes. Because the people that are screaming at us saying that's the wrong title, it's Crazy Love. Crazy Love. Crazy yes. love. I was like, okay, yeah, there you go. Gotcha. Crazy Love. Yep. Because it was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, it was reckless, too, yeah. but, but in a good way. Yeah. So, I just wanted to... Crazy love. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Because, yes, you're right. People are like, no, that's wrong. And they probably didn't hear anything else we said since then because they're like, you're wrong. Exactly. But, yeah, so we had this just awesome. One of the things uh, at that at that particular service where we gave away cars and like appliances, like we had people were like, I got washer and dryer. Who needs washer and dryer? We got beds. We got, I mean, it was like this amazing, crazy thing. Uh, We had, there was a single mom who didn't have any connection. We threw this huge baby shower for her. Like we had all this stuff for her there that day. She didn't know. I was like, Hey, will you be at the service? Cause you know, we want to give you a little, we want to give you a gift. She's like, okay, yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> Boom. The people we gave cars to, I was like, Hey, are you going to be at the, or will you be at the service on this day? We'd really, you know, like, okay, yeah, I'll be there. Boom. Here's a car, you know, like computers, mm-hmm. laptops. It was just so, so cool to be a part of something like that and see God move and see people respond to that. So those are just a couple of the highlights I think about. Um, I don't know where I'm going with all this. I don't know, but I will say this. So, cause that was, that was those early days and somewhere probably about, yeah, about 10 years in to doing uh, the ministry around 2012, 2013, I started to get that same restless feeling again of, hmm, like that I'd had before going into ministry and it just started kind of to stir. And, and, and it was weird because it was like, things are so good. Like things are going great. Like I don't, I'm, I'm an associate pastor on a staff and I'm just kind of given license to just go and do. And I didn't have to worry about committee meetings. I have to worry about any, like I just got to plan messages and, Small groups and just like you know, let's let's dream big and do that. And yeah. but this restless feeling was stirring, and it was kind of in, incessant. I will say, and I prayed and I prayed and I sought God, and you know, I had a, a 
just no direction, no answer except for, and this is important for any of you who are seeking the Lord right now, and you're just going, I know there's something else you want me to do, God, but I don't know what, or maybe you do know what, but you don't know when, where, or how. I will tell you what I heard from him because I, because this same, you know, continual, consistent, like God speaks when we seek him. And I heard, um, not audibly, but I knew his answer to me was wait, be faithful to what I have called you to until I do something new. Mm -hmm. Wait, be faithful to what I've called you to until I do something new. It was the same thing I heard after I came back from Romania. Yeah. It was, okay, yes, I've given you some of these tools to do ministry. Maybe I'll send you back, maybe I won't. But in the meantime, use them. Mm-hmm. Use them where you are. Use them where I have yeah. you. And it is that is a word of advice that I have given over and over and over again, mm-hmm. is and, be faithful where you are. And and it's funny because me knowing you like I, like I know you and uh-huh. hearing God tell you to wait <laughs> is probably like... <laughs> One of the hardest challenges he can give you. Yeah, it was it was hard, but at the same time, like, but God was it was it was also a really fruitful time in ministry. So it was yeah. like, um, but yeah, towards the the last year, two years was it was hard. Yeah, it was difficult, and that's really kind of when I think I got to know you, and you came on staff. Um, well, like by then it was kind of like I, I was full time at twenty fifteen. Okay, yeah. So we yeah. we'd been a couple years, but yeah, we'd we'd worked together a couple years before. Um, we kind of hit that yeah. three-year-ago mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When things really started mm-hmm. changing. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think, um, you know, as I prayed and prayed, and I just kept hearing, wait, be faithful, be faithful, what I've called you to. Over and over, I kept hearing that word. And and like I said, so much so that I, I use that often as counsel to people. Like, look, you might be ready to go. You might be ready to pack your bags and move. You might be ready to do this or that. But listen, if God is not giving you the green light, then you be faithful where you are until it's time to go. Like, don't don't just, like, throw everything off and be like, screw it. You know, like, no, no, be faithful where you are because there's yep. there's something to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that honors God. Mm-hmm. I don't think if we suddenly like quit doing our responsibilities or quit doing the, the, the tasks even we don't like to do or um, you know don't like the circumstances or situation, if we just kind of quit, um, that doesn't honor the Lord. And I don't know, like, is he going to reward us then with the next thing if we can't even be faithful with the other? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that's scriptural. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So for, for almost five years, I heard, wait, be faithful, wait, mm-hmm. be faithful. And it would kind of ebb and flow. Yeah. There were some times when I was like, oh, man, it's, something's got to change. And then and then there'd just be times of just like, this is wonderful and beautiful. Mm-hmm. But still, it was that restless feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and wait and be faithful, it, it really, it, it means more than just being okay. It, it means working and serving as if I had no pull or no stir, stirring or no restlessness for something else. That's really, I had to be fully in. And sometimes that was difficult, but more often than not, it, it was good. Um, and then about three years ago, exactly, mm-hmm. um, that stirring, that restlessness started to really, it started to overflow into other people. Yep. I was one of those. Yes, you were. You were. And and it didn't just trickle out like a little bit of no, hey. No, no. It was like a dam exploded and so many people were now expectant for something new. Mm-hmm. Um and again, I didn't know how or when or where, but I knew it was coming and now suddenly there are other people that are like something something. We mm-hmm. don't know. Yeah. Something. Um 
So you mentioned me buying my first house story, right? Last yeah. that I mentioned last week about how I was, I was ready to go look at another house. Mm-hmm. But God was like, well, what about that house? Yeah. I was going to look at that. What about that house? And it's like, it was just like, okay, there. Well, as I prayed, so during those, you know, as now like kind of the dam has exploded and I see other people that are now restless and this is stirring. As I prayed, I, as I would fall asleep at night thinking of this, this stirring and this restless, restlessness, I started to see this building, like a building, like the outside of it. But mostly I would see the inside of it. And I kept getting this vision of it on, like, you know, the building. And I kind of knew that this was an actual building, but I honestly hadn't seen it in over 20 years. Easy. Like, I think when I first moved to Valdosta, I saw this building. Yeah. And 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 that was it. And the fact that I kept seeing this, but it was another it was a church. It was a it was a church that was open and they had a pastor and they had people there. So it was like, I don't know. Yeah. It just didn't make doesn't make sense. Sense, right, as God often does. But then, you know, I'm I, I remember dates a lot. I do. I remember these important moments. But so January seventh, twenty nineteen, I'm actually sitting in line to pick up like at the pharmacy, like in the drive thru to pick up and my boss, who is called a district superintendent, um, calls and says, hey, there's a church that's not doing well, and they are going to close their doors. Um, but um, do you think you would be able, would you be interested in going out there? And I was like, Bef- uh, yes. And then he said, do you think you'd be able to raise um, the funds to start a new church? And I was like, well, what do you think? And he goes, probably about $250,000. And before he barely got out dollars, like I was like, yep, not a problem. Not a problem. Like I just knew I was like, that's not gonna be a problem. Like I didn't like, there wasn't a person on the side who was going to stroke a check for 250,000. I just knew because that dam had broken. I knew other people were restless and there was a stirring for something. I just knew that that was not even going to be an issue, which, Mm -hmm. you know, so here's the, his, his word that gets really amazing is like with a, with a six month we with a six month self imposed deadline, because we were like, look, if we're gonna do this thing, we're not gonna wait like a year and a half. Like we're not gonna, we want to make this thing happen, and we want to start open our doors before school starts because yep. you know, in August mm-hmm. we want to make this thing happen. And so, um, we we after doing numbers and you know you know, seeing the restlessness and knowing like, okay, staffing and all the th- stuff, budgeting and all that, we knew we're going to, it'd be like 250 to just make the thing happen. But like we were looking at like $450,000 to, to really the way get going. Right. God had impressed on our hearts. Right. With like renovations and salaries and ministry costs and all that. And tons of people, a lot of people said, oh, this, we can't do this. We shouldn't do this. I mean, there were people that were like, you should you should stay here. Like, you shouldn't. There were complaints. There were doubts. There were criticisms. But for those who had that stirring, Josh, we just knew. Mm-hmm. We just knew. Yeah. I mean, we had, you know, there had been conversation about looking at other buildings and all that. But it was just like, nope, this is it. And then God gave me this scripture uh, in the middle of this process, 1 Corinthians one twenty five, And it says, this foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. Mm. And that to me was like my anchor verse because, uh, you know, uh, 
on paper, you know, six months to launch a church, you know, six months to raise close to half a million dollars, like, or, you know, before we start, and we needed money even before that. Like, it wasn't like we, we had six months to get to that amount, like we needed. Mm-hmm. So, but God just reassured me that he had all this in control. And here, you know this, but here's I, just a celebrate reminder. In six weeks time, Josh, from that January 7th phone call, in six weeks, we had another one of those outdoor services. Yeah. And we had like a, mm-hmm. a grow initiative to say, hey, let's invest in this. Over half a million dollars <laughs> was raised <laughs> and pledged. That w- and less than four months from that phone call, we started renovations on, that, on the church on May 1st. Yep. And the same building I kept seeing, and as I prayed, we started renovations in that building. And then July 14th, we launched. Yep. July 14th, 2019, we launched. Um, and on that launch date, um, the key verse is Matthew 9, 17. No one puts new wine into old wine skins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wine skins so that both are preserved. And so my message that day was that Jesus came to make things new. He was the new covenant. He was the new promise of God. He shook off, you know, the old, and 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 um, that's who we were going to be. We were going to be this this place of of newness. And I remember so vividly um, after the message, our beautiful, wonderful Casey Van Nortwick saying, "New wine." Whew! I'll never forget that day, and and hearing her sing that, that, and uh, that was the beginning of of that. So. So that's kind of the catching up on some things and some highlights and some moments and experiences of my story. Um, here we still are. I've learned a lot in the three years we've been here. Yeah, learned a lot about leadership. I've learned a lot about myself. I've learned a lot about how I, how I take in and and receive uh, criticism, uh, uh, constructive criticism, <laughs> negative criticism. Uh, I'm learning uh, how to uh, find my dependence in the Lord always. Um, and uh, it's a continued journey of faith. And um, I still love, 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 love to teach. I feel like I just come alive in and, those moments. And now that you're a lead pastor, you're without imperfection, correct? Um, without imperfection, yes, that's uh-huh, for sure. No, not one <laughs> bit at all. I think, if anything, they're just a brighter light has shown upon them. So, uh, But, but it, it's been a great, great adventure thus far. Mm-hmm. So and it's really it, awesome. It's, it's, you know, a lot of... Most of your story I haven't been a part of, but mm-hmm. from about 2015 to now, I've I've been mm-hmm. there and I've seen it, and it's just been a pleasure to be a part of your story. Oh well, you're just as much a part of it, man. And uh, seeing how you've gr- like God has grown and shown, and and it's I'm I'm humbled to be sitting across from you. Oh well, goodness gracious, well so it's it's a. Uh, you know, we all have these. We all have our stories, and they all yeah. lead and connect. And and God's purposes, if we're willing, um, he he wants to use us, and he wants to share his hope with people. And that's really what I want us to keep doing and keep being a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm glad you're part of it too. I'm glad your story has connected you to his bigger yeah. story that we're all part of too. Mm-hmm. So, well, hey, Porch Community, thanks for uh, sticking around and listening to uh, part two of Shannon's story. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, if you know, I know we talked about some sensitive stuff, and I, I would definitely say to any who are uh, dealing with, struggling with um, any of those uh, things, you know, with the abortion or other issues, like I just want you to know, as your pastor, um, as your friend, I, I'm I'm here to to walk alongside of you, counsel you, uh, help you in any way that I am able to, um, so that you can experience forgiveness and um, healing and hope um, and then you can let God use your story when the time is right as well to encourage others so love you porch community we'll see you next week all right we'll see you bye see you bye you've been listening to the 167 podcast join us next time for more insights to inspire challenge and encourage to help you live into the remaining 167 hours of your week.